Hello, and welcome to Into the Closet with the Queer Priestess. I'm your host, Casey Joy. Here, you will hear my stories about my life in and out of the closet and how I have healed my trauma from the inside out. I will teach you tools so you too can begin healing your life. I am a queer woman, psycho-spiritual practitioner, wife, teen mom, divorcee, college dropout, trailer park living, plant-loving, spiritual, intuitive entrepreneur, and priestess. I stopped letting the world tell me who I had to be and went internal and realized that I am a goddamn cheetah. I took my life and rose up out of the ashes like the phoenix. And I want to share my story with you so that you too can hold on to hope, possibility, and know that you always, always, always belong. Deep breath in. Let's go inside. Hello, hello. Welcome back. Thanks for coming back and tuning into Into the Closet with the Queer Priestess. Today is the last day of 2022. And it's interesting. I've been in like this space of being inward, being very introspective over the last like week, week and a half, just like really reflecting on the year, really reflecting on my life. What feels really beautiful is that I don't have these big, huge goals to change myself or become a different version of myself. I just really deeply love myself. And I'm incredibly proud of all of the work that I have done that has gotten me thus far. And my invitation for you today would be to invite you to go inward. And can you just really love yourself? Can you hug yourself for getting you to where you are today, for going through all of the trials and tribulations, the ups and the downs that have made you who you are in your purest form? Sure, it doesn't mean that you don't have shadows. It doesn't mean that you don't have things that you could overcome or learn lessons from. But like inherently, you're not a bad person. You're not wrong. Nothing is wrong with you. You don't actually need to be fixed. And through the journey of healing, it isn't about fixing yourself because there's something wrong with you. It is about healing so that you can really remember your true essence, remember who you are. And that is like one thing that I'm really good at with holding the space for my clients to be able to remember who they are to point them back to the truest version of themselves before society told them who they had to be, before their family members told them who they had to be, before all the limiting beliefs squashed them down, the ego got in the way. And I teach them how to work with the ego, how to work with their loyal soldiers, how to go in and find their inner child and be like, I love you so much and I'm so sorry the adults and the caregivers and the teachers of the world couldn't see you. It's interesting I'm going in this direction because this is not at all where I thought I was going to go with this episode, but here we are. So 2023 is actually a seven year. So two plus zero plus two plus three is seven. Two plus two is four. Four plus three is seven. Seven is connected to cancer. So the zodiac and astrology, cancer sign, and cancer is connected to nourishment. And within nourishment, there really is this like 
real deep need for us to love our inner children, nourish our inner children, and kind of mother ourselves. Whether you're male, female, non-binary, how can you bring in this great love and nourishment for yourself? How can you mother yourself back to um, not really wholeness? I, you know, I feel like if we have to nourish ourselves back to wholeness, then there's this idea that we're broken. And I just don't really believe that we're broken either. Um, I just really believe that healing is a remembering. It's not about a fixing. It's not about a like putting back together. It's just a deep remembering of like, oh, this is who I am. This is my true essence. This is my true self. This is my authentic self. This is the empowered part of me. And that's what I believe healing is. I, I don't really, I don't buy into the belief that any human being is broken or needs to be fixed. So how can you mother yourself back to, it's so interesting. Wholeness wants to come out. So what would wholeness be? Wholeness you know, I think wholeness probably is a remembering. Wholeness would be us remembering who we are. Like when we believe that we are whole, when we remember that we are more than enough and we are good enough and we are powerful and we are special and we are magnificent, well, then we would be whole and we would remember our wholeness. And even though I don't believe that people are broken or need to be fixed, a lot of people do believe that they're broken and they need to be fixed and something's inherently wrong with them because that is the limiting belief that has been placed upon them. Limiting beliefs tend to come to us. They happen. We end up believing the limiting beliefs because of people and situations in our life that have you know, created an impact, have had an impact on our lives. So there might have been a situation growing up in childhood where our parents or caregivers said something to us to make us believe that we're unworthy of love or we just really aren't good. We're just bad and we're deserving of punishment. Um, I worked with a client earlier this week, actually, who's just like, I just don't need love. You know, that belief of I don't need love comes from like not actually being able to receive love as a child from caregivers. And it's not true. Like we all need love. It's one of our basic needs, love and belonging, right? Security, stability, nourishment, food, housing, Love just is a fundamental need that we all need. And when we have a limiting belief that we don't need it, I know for myself, I wanted love so badly growing up that I would turn red flags into green flags, which is impossible to do, but I would try my damnedest to figure out how to do that. And so I just dismissed the red flags. And so I would take love in any form that it could be given to me through, you know, abuse, manipulation, narcissism, super unhealthy, codependent, enmeshment relationships, either in partnerships, actual like 
relationships with significant others or in business partnerships, friendships, you know, just relationships in all the forms. So for myself, it was that my limiting belief around love was that really I didn't believe that I was worthy of unconditional love. And so I ran towards people who could love me conditionally. I ran towards people that were unhealthy and it was like I was deserving of scraps. I was deserving of like scraps of love. And those were the limiting beliefs. And so when we have limiting limiting beliefs, we then attract people and situations into our lives that affirm those beliefs to us. So for the longest time, I attracted people, situations, relationships into my life that gave me scraps of love, that gave me conditional love, that made me figure out how to turn the red flag into a green flag or just turn a blind eye to the red flags altogether. So I share all of this because there are people who do believe that they are broken or they need to be fixed. And when we heal ourselves back to wholeness, we actually remember that we were never broken and we never needed to be fixed to begin with. We just have some limiting beliefs. We have stuck trauma that's in our body that needs to be released, healed, alchemized so that we can remember how to be our full self. And if we are our full self, if we remember our full self, well, then in fact, we would be stepping into wholeness. So that, thank you universe for like making that all come to me. Like wholeness, wholeness doesn't make sense if we're not broken or need to be fixed, but actually it makes a lot of sense. This is how I process. Yeah, this is how I process things. So this is how things come to me. Welcome to part of my brain. So the invitation for 2023 is for you to go inward and can you find the part of you that just really fully is worthy of unconditional love? And can you unconditionally love yourself? Can you mother yourself this next year? Can you find all of your inner children and your inner teenagers and your inner adults that need to be nourished and loved? Um, if you need any help with inner child work, uh, I do work with clients one-on-one, -on -one, but I also have my magic meditation bundle. And one of the meditations in that bundle is all around inner child. The magic meditation bundle link will be in the show notes. And if ever you are curious about working together one-on-one, -on -one, you can absolutely reach out to me on Instagram, Casey Joy Healing, or on Facebook. I'm also on Facebook as Casey Joy. And I would just really love to support you in any capacity, even if you just have a question. I'm so passionate about this work, the work that I'm doing in the world. I just want to get the resources into as many hands as possible. With that said, you could, you know, part of inner child work is right now, wherever you are, unless you're driving, can you close your eyes? Can you place one or both hands over your heart space and take a nice nourishing deep breath into your belly your pelvic floor and let it go and just check in and see which one of your inner child inner children wants to come forward 
I see myself, I have a picture of myself in the first grade around Christmas time. I'm wearing this black overall jumper dress sitting in a chair in front of a Christmas tree. I was at a school event and I have a braid in my hair and she is who is coming forward. That's who I see. You might have like an actual picture of the inner child that's coming forward and it might just be like a sense of like, oh, I feel like my inner child is five years old or I feel like mine is two years old. You don't have to overthink it. Just trust your intuition. Your intuition is so powerful, my friend. Your intuition is so powerful and won't steer you wrong. And so just trust the first thing that comes up, the first image that comes up, the first little bit of information. And when you see your inner child, to say hello. See how they respond to your adult self, your adult self's energy. Ask them if you can give them a hug and ask them if maybe they want to spend some time with you over the next week or over the next year and ask them if they can teach you, if they can share with you what they're really needing. That's interesting. My inner child just really wants to be creative and paint as an adult. Like it's so hard for me to be creative. It's Like, I don't like painting. In fact, in my closet, I have this huge canvas that Sarah J bought for me years ago. (laughs) It's still wrapped in the plastic. And I'm just like so terrified to paint this canvas because I don't want to like mess it up or get it wrong. And that's just like the perfectionist part of me. That's like, this is like a hundred dollar canvas. It's funny because I've been thinking about this canvas for like the last few days. Just pull it out and go paint on it. Who cares what it looks like? Um, I'm not an artist by any stretch of the means at all. Uh, My brother had the gift of the artist and my mom is such a talented artist and creative. I'm really good at drawing stick figures (laughs) and like that just gets to be okay. I'm having fun these days in the kitchen and creating recipes and being able to like make something out of nothing. That's really fun for me and creative. Last year around this time I made an apple cake. I was like, I have apples in my fruit basket. I don't, you know, I don't know what to do with them before they rot. And I was like, oh, let me make an apple cake. And it's kind of like this beautiful lesson for me around like Adam and Eve and how it wasn't actually the way I interpreted the story my entire childhood. So my inner child really wants to paint. So I'm just going to let her who knows when, but when I have this canvas painted, I will be sure to let you know. So just ask your inner child, what do you need? How can I best love you this year? How can I allow you to be fully expressed Ask them if they want to hug and thank them for showing up today for you to give you the information that you need. That's my invitation for you this year. And when that part of you feels like they're, they've been tended to and nourished and feel good, then you can ask another one to come up. 
sometimes, you know, five of my inner children come up at the same time and usually they all end up needing the same thing. And I work, I work with all of them together in a way of like, if my teenage self shows up and my two-year-old self shows up and my eight-year-old self shows up, I allow my eight-year-old self and my teenage self to nourish my two-year-old self. Because as a child, I was really good with babies and little children. I still am. A lot of my friends and family call me the baby whisperer. I just, I was so good with kids. I am so good with kids. And so I'll play on those strengths and gifts of my myself. And I recognized when I was little that I was good with kids. And so I let that part of me shine and help nourish and heal my two-year-old self. It's just a really beautiful practice. So 2023, you're not broken. You don't need to be fixed. Heal yourself. Nourish yourself back to wholeness. Mother yourself. Unconditionally love yourself. You are so worthy of love and you absolutely need love. And I'm so incredibly sorry to all of you who haven't experienced unconditional love, who have been estranged from family, who have been pushed out of communities, it's, it is heartbreaking. The queer community at large really is ostracized, pushed out, pushed away, abandoned, left alone, very conditionally loved. And a lot of hatred is placed on the queer community in the name of love. And I have a lot of friends who share so many stories with me, horror stories with me about the ways that their family members show up for them. I love you, but, you know, that's just conditional. And really, it's not even love. There are some people who are non-binary and... Their parents, their family members, their friends, their employers will not honor they, them pronouns and just dismiss them and say, nope, I'm not going to do that because that's not what I've, you know, that's not what I'm used to. That I, you were born with these pronouns. That's how I've known you my whole life. That's how I see you. That's how I'm going to continue seeing you. And there's like these like huge blinders on. And I just think like it's the shittiest, most heartbreaking, hateful thing. And I, if that is you, I see you. I see you. I see you. I see you. And I'm so sorry. My hope for you is that you unconditionally love yourself and you can go reparent the part of you that didn't get to be loved. I really wanted to go with this episode, and this is a great segue in, speaking of they, them pronouns, is telling a little bit of the story around Pax, my middle child. Pax uses they, them pronouns. They are non-binary. And sure, it was an adjustment at first, right? Like, And also, as parents, Sergey and I just really wanted to be able to show up for them, honor them, like love and respect them for who they are as they're really allowing their essence to shine, to come forth. 
to allow themselves to be expressed. And so it was a learning curve. It took a little bit of time to stop using he, him pronouns, but ultimately it just was like, okay, great. Like we're on board. This is, this is what you're desiring. And we want to respect you because we love you so much, you know, and I believe that's what unconditional love is. And so when parents talk about, grandparents talk about how it's too hard, it's like, sure, if you're not willing to put in the work, but if you really love somebody unconditionally, putting in the work is just easy. Putting in the work is the easy thing to do, you know? So, Pax, I was pregnant with Pax in 2007. I knew the moment that I was pregnant with Pax. I knew the moment that I was pregnant with all my kids, but Pax, like, I can tell you exactly where I was, the moment that it happened, where I was, what was happening. Um, It literally was one of two nights. And so I knew right away I was pregnant took the first pregnancy test the day of my miss period and sure sure enough pregnant and so I immediately let their dad know the first thing out of his mouth was I do not have money for an abortion this week but I'll have money for an abortion next week and so this was part of Pax's dad's mo was to sleep with 18 19 year old girls get them pregnant bring them to the abortion clinic I believe he had eight, eight or nine years on me. So like for him to always be sleeping with 18 year olds, even as he got older in his 30s, you know, I don't I know I have no idea now. But like all the stories I continued to hear was <laughs> younger, 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 younger. And so his M.O. was to get these girls pregnant, bring them to the abortion clinic. And then there's like just so much dysfunction and sadness in that. I'm not like, I am so pro-choice. It's a woman's body, woman's decision. But when it's heavily influenced on one specific man, I have a problem with that. And especially when that is the MO or the addiction, there's just like, my soul cannot. mm -mm, No, thank you. So I did inner wrestle for a long time. Do I abort this kid? Do I keep this kid? Do I abort this kid? Do I keep this kid? Because mind you, I'm already a single mom of one child. I'm not like I already know I'm going to end up raising both of these kids myself. And not not just for a little bit of time, like for their entire lives, I will be a single mother. And ultimately, in the end, I decided to keep Pax. Pax is here. They're 15 years old. They just had their birthday 10 days ago. And, you know, the pregnancy was so rough. I did end up moving back in with Savannah's dad towards the end of my pregnancy with Pax. I needed to get as far away from their dad as possible. And that was the place that I knew to go. That was, you know, that was my family. That was my home. And it didn't matter how much dysfunction there was between Savannah's dad and I. That was the place that I needed to be. And what was interesting was that like towards the end of the pregnancy, Savannah's dad and I had talked about him adopting Pax once they were born and ultimately that didn't happen. And so when I was 
I think it was like December 20th, I went into the doctor's office and I had been taking castor oil for a few days because I was just like so ready to be done being pregnant. And I had read some stories around castor oil promoting labor. And when I went into the doctor's office on December 20th, the doctor was like, whoa, you're already dilated to like two, almost three. When do you want to have this baby? And I'm like, either today or tomorrow. (laughs) And he's like, you have fast labor, right? And I was like, yeah. You know, Savannah, I arrived at the hospital probably around 7, 7.30 in the morning and she was born at 12, 12 p.m. So I wasn't there long before she was born. And so he's like, okay, come to the hospital tomorrow at 3 p.m. I think I they ended up calling. I ended up being there at two o'clock. The Pitocin was hooked up by three o'clock p.m. Tax was born by 6.16 p.m. And my my mom was there. My dad was there. I almost think my mom's boyfriend at the time was there. I'm not entirely sure. My my dad's ex-wife was there. And then my friend Angie had come. My dad cut the umbilical cord. Tax's dad was totally non-responsive. I did let him know in the event that he would want to know, like, hey, I'm giving birth tomorrow. This is what's happening. Meanwhile, I was like terrified to have a boy. I, at the time, my fear was that I was going to have a boy that was going to look like his dad. And then I'm going to have to be reminded of him forever. (laughs) And I was a girl mom and I didn't know how to be a boy mom. And again, like I had never experienced a healthy man in my life. So I just had a lot of fear around having a boy. So Pax was born December 21st. Pax is my winter solstice baby. So the shortest day of the year, the longest night of the year, my baby was born. All of my parents left. My friend Angie left. I fell asleep. Around midnight, I woke up and my baby wasn't in the room. And I like panicked. I called the nurse. I'm like, where is my child? And Pax was down in the nursery. Um... They hadn't cried when they were born. And so there were a lot of concerns. They ran a bunch of tests. Um, Pax is super jaundiced. So I go into this room and into the nursery and there's just IVs and like machines and masks and just like all of this. It was like I was so panicked and they weren't able to nurse right away. So Basically, what I do is I was nursing, but at the same time, Pax was severely tongue-tied. And so I had this syringe with a curved tip, and I would place my pinky on top of my nipple with the syringe, holding the baby and gently dripping formula into their mouth while they were sucking my nipple and my pinky at the same time to try to stimulate sucking while pushing the syringe. And it You know, it took a day, but they finally got the hang of it. And we had to stay in the hospital. Normally, you know, back then it was like 24 hours, 48 at the most, but they were born the 21st. We got to leave the 24th. So we stayed all day the 22nd, all day the 23rd, the majority of the day on the 24th. And so I just got to have so much time with this baby and learn how to essentially 
at the time, love a boy. And it was the first time, it was the first time in my entire life I could experience unconditional love with the opposite sex. It was just like, as a mother, like, oh, I know how to do this. I remember how to love this child, this soul. And that was the first time. Oh, this is unconditional love. I can unconditionally love this human being. And so I did. It took their dad probably, I believe, seven weeks to ever meet Pax. It was totally a happenstance. I walked into a restaurant as I was walking in. <laughs> their dad was like walking up to the host stand. And that was how they met their, he met their kid for the first time. And then it was just like trying to figure out the ebb and flow of custody. And there was like a lot of in and out, in and out, in and out. And he finally stopped coming 2011. So before Pax was four years old. At the time, there was a court order in place that that Pax's dad could have supervised visitations. You know, just like his living conditions weren't great. He was still a womanizer. And I just didn't agree with the conditions in which my kid was sleeping in and being in. And so when we went to mediation, I was like, I just really don't think that he should be able to take him every other weekend. No. And when the mediator asked, he didn't lie. He's like, well, she's not lying. And so there was supervised visitation five hours every other every other weekend. And a lot of times he just wouldn't show. So he just stopped coming. And the last time that he came was September of 2012. And the saddest part about that was... Pax and their dad had gone to the store. They went to Target and their dad had bought a bunch of stuff for himself. And in the checkout lane, Pax had asked for bubble bubble roll tape, like in the pink container. And one of the last things that their dad said to them was, you are so selfish. Can you not see that this is a shopping trip for me? Not for you. And on the car ride home, Pax's dad was telling Pax that I, their mother, was such a fucking bitch to raise a selfish child. And so by the grace of everything, he just stopped showing up. He was not a healthy person. He is not a healthy person. And he stopped showing up. And in a lot of ways, even though that was a really hard thing for Pax and we dealt with years of tears and like tax thinking something was wrong with them or they were so selfish or they shouldn't have asked for the tape, the bubblegum tape, all of these things. But really the, the bigger realm, the bigger, the grand scheme of everything was that him no longer showing up was the greatest gift of protection for Pax. I will never not feel that way. So that was 2012, just shortly before Pax turned five. So remember, Savannah's dad originally was going to adopt Pax. Didn't happen. And some level, Pax's soul knew that they would be adopted. Pax's original due date was January 11th. They were born December 21st. 
Sarah came around in 2009. So Pax was like 18 months old. Even when we were like in and out, you know, for the longest time, her and I remained friends. So Sarah J always got to show up for Pax, always. Sarah J was the second parent that Pax knew. In 2020, Pax came to me and asked if Sarah could adopt them. There was a letter from the front of the court that came in the mail that Pax saw. And from seeing that letter, Pax just said, could Sarah just adopt me? Now, when Pax was born, Pax's name was Paxton, P-A-X-T-O-N, Prue, and then my maiden name. And so I said, okay, I will reach out to your dad and ask if that's all right. And so I just spun it from the perspective of Pax really wants a second parent that he, you know, they could rely on and trust and know is going to show up for them. And once you adapt them, you no longer have to pay child support moving forward. And I think it threw him off guard. He asked for a couple of days to think about it before making the decision. That was in the fall of 2020. Pax's, Pax's due date was January 11th. And then remember, originally, Savannah's dad and I had talked about potentially him adopting Pax once they were born, but it didn't happen. So fall of 2020 happens. And I reach out. He finally says, yes, I start the process. Sarah J and I start the process of the adoption. There's a lot of things that go into it. But ultimately, Sarah J became the parent of Pax Crew Joy, January 11th, 2022, on their due date 14 years later. And what's profound to me is that what they dropped from their name, they got to choose what their name was going to be, and they wanted to drop ton. And so a ton of weight was dropped from Pax's life when they got to be adopted. And so their name means peace, floods, joy. That's what Pax Crew Joy means, peace, floods, joy. It just amazes me how synchronistic life can be. Earlier in the year of 2022, I had met with an astrologist, or sorry, early in the year of 2021, I had met with an astrologist around Sarah J and I had talked about potentially getting pregnant. The astro- I asked the astrologist to lay our natal charts over top of each other. And it was interesting because, you know, based on our charts, we could technically have more children. But she had said, the astrologist had said, if you tried in January of 2022, that would be really promising for Sarah to have a child in January of 2022. She had no idea that we were like moving towards adoption. She couldn't have predicted that in January 2022, that's when Sarah J was going to legally be Pax's parent. But the stars don't lie. (laughs) So it's been a journey to be Pax's mother. It's been a beautiful gift to be able to watch them grow and evolve and become who they are and become the greatest expression of themselves. 
And I've learned that the more I give them permission to express, the more they get to the express themselves and realize like what they do and do not like. So a couple of years ago, they really wanted to be wearing sundresses. So Sarah J took them to the store and bought them some sundresses. And it was just such a beautiful gift to let them be able to express themselves with clothes. My fear always prior to was always worrying about how are how is the world going to treat my kid? In this world where there's so much hatred, there's so much misogyny, there are so many like there's so many hateful people. Who's going to attack my child? That was always my fear. Pax had already dealt with bullying. They're like, they've always been like soft and feminine. And I knew when Pax was like 18 months old that Pax was going to be gay. Like it just, it was just a deep knowing that I had. And for the longest time as a mom, as a queer woman, I always thought like, oh no, did I do something wrong? And then I realized like, no. My kids have just learned that love is love and love is love is love is love. And it doesn't matter what form it shows up in. It doesn't matter if it's same sex or opposite sex or non-binary or how somebody identifies or doesn't identify. Love just gets to be love. And when we can love people on a human level, that's the gift. And they got to learn that early on. Savannah Pax and Lila. And, you know, I think just like my own conditioning thought like, oh, fuck, I fucked my kids up. I did something wrong. They're going to identify as queer and then their life is going to be so hard. That was the fear. And then I remembered, you know, like my parents, heterosexual. They raised a queer child. They, they raised heterosexual children. But like just because of their sexuality and how they identify didn't equate mine. And so I just had to remember that. And two out of three kids identify as queer. One of them is like, maybe one day I'll find out, you know, and there's just like no pressure to put labels or boxes or anything like just be open to love be curious, see, you know, just see what happens. And I just think that there's so much beauty and magic in that. And it's just really is a gift. It's a gift that kids can know at a young age that love is love and that they're not wrong for who they love. And I think the generation, like my kids' generation, they are, that generation is going to change the world. Their generation and the generation above them. For sure. I mean, my oldest is 17, so I'm like, I don't even know what generation she technically fits in. But I I do know Savannah and Pax, that generation, they're going to change the world. That generation is so outspoken, so loud, so ready for change, so hungry for change. And I'm I'm really excited to be parenting two of them. It has been a journey. It's been a journey being Pax's parents. It has been a journey being Savannah and Pax and Lila's mother. And my greatest blessing, such an honor, such a privilege. 
I have not always gotten it right. I was actually just talking to a client last night, a former client of mine, about how, you know, he was saying, well, I don't want to blame my parents. I don't want to say, well, this happened because of my parents. And to that, I say, it's actually okay to blame our parents. It's okay to blame our parents as long as we don't get stuck in blaming our parents. Because what happens is blaming our parents actually validates us. And I used this example, Savannah and Pax and Lila, but I used the example of Savannah. Savannah gets to blame me for her childhood trauma. And in her being able to blame me for her childhood trauma, I get to validate her and see her in her pain from the childhood trauma that I caused and I inflicted upon her that I made her endure because of my choices. And because of my lack of choices, that's on me. And in her being able to blame me, then she gets to make the choice whether or not she wants to heal from those things. And when she chooses to heal from those things, then she doesn't get stuck in the blaming. And then she can see, oh, it is true. My mom did the best that she could with the tools that were given to her and the life that she had growing up. and big capitalization, underlined exclamation point, and it still hurt me. Because what happens when we don't actually get to blame our parents is we bypass the pain that we had been in and the trauma that we endured and the trauma that was inflicted upon us. We bypass it. So we're like, oh, well, we don't want to blame our parents. It wasn't actually their fault. And it's like, well, actually it was. Like you were the child and a parent or a caregiver didn't take care of you in the way that you needed. And yes, it's true. All parents, all caregivers, all adults do the best that they can with the tools that are given to them. That is how generational trauma happens. And also, and also is so important. It hurt us. It hurt me. It hurt you. And then the work is to heal. Because if I didn't choose my healing, then then for the rest of my kids' life moving forward, they would be like still spinning in the cycle of trauma. And then if they choose to have kids, that trauma is going to be passed on to their kids, my grandkids. And I was like, fuck, no, this is stopping now with me, with them. And yes, there's so much work to be done with their healing, but I had to go first. I had to heal myself first because imagine if my kids would have been the ones to heal first and I still still stayed stuck in my patterns and in my choosing and the way that I was living my life, well, that trauma is just going to keep repeating and it doesn't matter how much they heal, that trauma is still knocking them upside the head and kicking their feet out from underneath them. And I just was not available for that. So I know that was a lot. 2023 is coming. Nourishing your inner child. What it was like for me to be able to bring Pax into the world. It was such a gift. So scary. So profound. Such an honor. And what it is like to be able to blame our parents, be validated, no longer bypassing what happened. Don't get stuck there. Don't get stuck in the blame. Getting stuck in the blame actually doesn't allow you to heal. 
But when we can blame, we can be validated. I love you. I really, really do. That's it for today. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. Please subscribe to this podcast and leave a five-star review so that it can get out into the world to even more people. If you heard something that resonated with you today, I would love it if you could share this with your friends on Instagram. Be sure to tag me at CaseyJoyHealing so that I can cheer you on. If you'd like to go even deeper together, I invite you to check out my magic meditation bundle so that you can minimize anxiety and give into calmness. I love you. Remember, you are the magic.